This morning we will be in Luke chapter 2 verses 21 through 52. So if you do not have a copy of God's word and you would like one, if you want to raise your hand or, or give a stare to the ushers, go ahead. But, but this morning in Luke uh, chapter 2 verses 21 through 52, we're going to see uh, uh, an incredible, um, some incredible events that are stacked on top of each other. What we, what we see is essentially Jesus' early life. Um, we only get snippets of it, though. We, we see him at eight, eight days old. We see him at about 40 days old. And then we see him at 12 years old. And there's a lot of ways that, um, that this passage could be taught. We could, we could zero in and focus on what it looks like to be a righteous parent and how that righteousness of obeying God's word is passed down to, to kids. We, we could look at Simon and Anna and the faithfulness that they displayed towards God of what it looks like to be a true worshiper in spirit and truth. Or we could look at the, the, the obedience of, of Jesus and his submission to his parents. But there's, there's one common theme in these 30-some verses. And that's, and that's obedience. And I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to only touch on these certain events to reveal what it looks like to be an obedient, faithful believer in God. And so... Starting in verse 21, going to verse 52, we read this. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. And and this man was a righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel 
and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they returned, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days... They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And they went, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Quite the chunk this morning. So let's get into this. I, I, I think that most parents, before having children, have unrealistic expectations. I may have been a hellion to my parents, we may think, but I, I've got it all together. I, I know exactly how I'm going to get my children to obey me. They're going to love me so much for it. And when I ask them to do something, it's going to be easy and they're just going to act on it. And I know how my children are going to be submissive to me. Well, Haddon is nearly nine months and now he's starting to crawl. He's got this army crawl going on. And I'm starting to figure out that the, the most favorite toy that Haddon has is things that aren't toys. One in particular is the dog dish. 
the food. And so we see him start to crawl over there and we say, had it no. And it's almost as if he even can understand what no means because then he does this little thing. And then he keeps going towards the dog food. Now, if, if I were a, a betting man, I would assume that it's not only at nine months where when you tell a child, no, please don't do that, that they probably give you this look back and continue to go, to go forward. It's because our natural tendency is to disobey. From early on, as human beings, it is our natural tendency to disobey. And so it is still with us, with our Heavenly Father. However, the day that you became a Christian, God implanted the Holy Spirit into our hearts. He gave us the helper. He did this so that we could be obedient children to his word. And so in this passage today, we will see obedience to God's word leads to action. It leads to proclamation and it leads to submission. We come to verses 21 through 24, which say, And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. In the beginning of this text this morning, we, we see that immediately when Joseph and Mary had this child. It's not a second thought. They name him Jesus after what the angel had came to tell them. This child shall be named Jesus is what the angel tells them. And so without second thought, Mary and Joseph act in obedience to the word that has been given to them to name him Jesus. And so that might be a little silly, you may be thinking, is that that's such a, a silly act of obedience, but yet it is still so profound. But if we want to dig deeper into the action behind Joseph and Mary's obedience, then we can, we can go to the next three verses and see that they were faithful Jews, obeying the law of the Lord that had been written to the people of Israel. When it came time for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him. There are two things that are, are happening here. 
is that in Jewish custom, when a woman gave birth, she was to purify herself before presenting herself at the temple. And so that purification would usually last about 30-some days. Then, as we read, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so what the expectation was is that Mary and Joseph were to bring this child to the temple so they could dedicate him. And so we see in this young Jewish couple an act of obedience to God's word. And then lastly, they were to sacrifice. Now, once again, one of the, the, the common myths about Christmas is that the three wise men had found Jesus when he was first born. But yet, this text will show us that that's not necessarily true. Because if that were true, then Joseph and Mary would have been able to afford a goat. But what this passage tells us is that they only had enough money for pigeon or turtle doves. Which reveals to us that Joseph and Mary weren't the richest couple either. In fact, only those who were in poverty would offer a turtle dove or pigeons. And so we see that even though this young couple lives in poverty, they are still quick to act out in obedience to what has been written in the law of Moses. Is this the case for us? Are we quick to act in obedience to God's word? Do we use maybe our riches as an excuse not to be obedient and not to act out in obedience to God's word? There are, I've met a lot of Christians who are quick to act out in obedience and I have also met a lot of Christians who are not quick to act out in obedience. And that is a scary thing. Because there are a few things that tend to happen then. One is the question needs to be raised. What are you believing in? Are you believing in yourself or are you believing that Jesus has actually died for your sins? We have been called to act out in obedience to the word of God. I remember sitting down with, with the man who had been discipling me and, and uh, he was a church planter in Denver and he got to meet um, this, this uh, church planter who was in Asia. And we were, we were talking about what it looks like and why it's so difficult for us to act out the word of God. And so he told me this actually very inspiring story. 
he said while he was in Denver, he got to meet up with this, with this missionary who was over, or, or church planter who was over in Asia. And while he was talking to this church planter in Asia, he had said, well, how do you get people to act out the word of God? And this was his response. This, this man who had seen thousands of people come to the Lord, this man who had seen hundreds of churches planted said this, I go into the town, I bring my Bible with, we open it up, people come to know Jesus, and then what I do is I go through with them, and after every study with them, I say, okay, now do this every single day for the next week, and when you come back to me, let me know what has happened. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, no way. But what about the small groups that, that we have here in, in America? Or, or, or the fancy church services? Or this? Or, or that? Or, or that program? It's seriously just opening up the Bible with somebody and then challenging yourself and them to just live it out for the next week? Yeah. <laughs> it, it actually is that easy. And don't we see this with Mary and Joseph? This is what the law of Moses told them. So just do it. I wonder what it would look like, brothers and sisters, if we came here and every Sunday we challenged ourselves to one point of action. And we asked somebody for the next week, this is what I'm going to do. Can you keep me accountable? Just this one thing. I wonder if we could challenge ourselves to that. To actively live out what has been written by saying this one thing stuck out to me. I'm going to go and do it for the next week. Ask me if I've been doing it. Could we challenge ourselves to that? To actively obey what the word of God says? See, this is the amazing thing about this passage. Because action without proclamation is, is silly. I mean, there are multiple times in the word of God when Paul brings up that we need to be living out our faith in action and in words. And so what we see next is that very thing, is that obedience to God's word leads to proclamation. We read in the next 10 verses, well, the next 15 verses. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Luke right away takes our attention to this man, Simon. Simon is this unknown person. He's just a, an ordinary, regular person who the Spirit has so happened to reveal to him, you will not see death until you have seen the Lord's Christ. And so for whatever reason, that morning when Simon woke up, he felt the stirring of the Spirit to go to the temple and, and I would imagine that each step that Simon is taking towards the temple, his, the, the spirit in him is, is wrestling his heart even more. And he's, he's getting more excited and he's getting more excited. And then he, he comes to the temple and he sees this little itty bitty infant in his mother's arms. And what does he do right away? It says, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. This stranger goes and takes this baby out of his parents' arms and then goes on to proclaim what this child is about to do. This child, he says, for my eyes have seen salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people. And so here this stranger has this child in his hands holding him and he's proclaiming this great salvation and Joseph and Mary, they marvel they marvel at what is taking place because of this man's proclamation. And what do we know about Simon? Is that he was a devout and righteous man. Which means he was obedient to the word of God. You cannot be a righteous and devout man or woman and not be obedient to the word of God. And so we see this spirit-filled proclamation come out of his mouth when he sees this child. But then to contrast it, Luke then talks about another who proclaims. The prophetess Anna. Picking up in verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and Speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
we see again. We see again Anna now. When she sees this child bursts out in proclamation. She becomes an evangelist. She gave thanks and began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Obedience to the word of God leads to proclamation. How can it not? How can obedience to God's word not lead to proclamation when you've been transformed and saved from such a horrific and terrible thing? But this is the warning that we must take. Is it's far too easy for us to assume the gospel. It is far too easy to assume the gospel. Far too many times we assume the gospel. The most important thing for our eternal state. And so in case we are caught assuming this great truth. Let me take time to just briefly explain what Simon here is is saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's saying, God, my my eyes have, have seen what you are going to use to save your people. That you have prepared salvation in the presence of your people. And he will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Which goes back to the promise that God had given Abraham that this offspring that would come from Abraham would be a blessing to all of the nations. This this child, Jesus, he would be a, a light and revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then he, he blessed Mary and said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus has come to save the least likely. He has come to exalt the humble. And he has come to be judgment For the proud and the arrogant. God being merciful in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he first loved us by sending his son as a propitiation for our sins. Sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin. Live a perfect life, fulfilling the law perfectly. Taking on the wrath and judgment that has been set on you and I. Dying that death on a cross, being buried and rising three days later to be that light for the Gentiles and the glory for the people of Israel. So that all who in faith turn to Jesus, repent of their sins, can have everlasting life. Is this what you believe? Far too many times we get caught up in assuming. But you may be 
thinking. Okay, I, I know I'm supposed to proclaim this gospel. I, I just can never get the words out. In, in, a, in a book called Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstil, he makes a great claim. And that is that most of the time, Christians have a hard time being fluent, being able to say the gospel in their everyday lives for two reasons. Either one, the person actually doesn't believe in the gospel. Or two, it's just that you don't practice saying the gospel to yourself, which is the most important thing you could do every day. Because each one of us still struggles with sin. And each one of us needs to remind ourselves that we have a great Savior who has saved us from our sin, who has given us the helper to fight temptation. And so we must not assume the gospel. Oh, brothers and sisters, this may sound silly, but, but we should quiz each other. We should be asking each other, what's the gospel? I, I really need encouragement. Can you just speak the gospel at me? I need truth because right now I want to live in my sin. So remind me, remind me of what my great Savior has done for me. Oh, we must not assume the gospel because that leads to doubt. When we are obedient in God's word, it leads to proclamation. However, there is a very important umbrella that those lie under. And that's obedience to God's word leads to submission. You cannot merely just act and proclaim without being submissive to your great Savior. It's impossible. And so, in the next nine verses, no, 11 verses, we'll see what it looks like to be submissive. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the rel their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him after Three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Mary and and Joseph, to celebrate the feast of Passover, take Jesus, who now is 12 years old, with them. And for the next seven days, they celebrate this feast. And Mary and and Joseph pack up their bags. And they, they head back home. And supposing that Jesus was just hanging around with some other people, they continued to go until it became a day. A day. Can you imagine leaving your children for a day? They realized this. And can you imagine the argument that must have happened between Mary and Joseph? Joseph sitting here thinking, well, she, she's supposed to take care of the boy. How could she forget him? I was making sure all of the heavy stuff was packed up and and Mary looking over at Joseph and saying, I know he's trying to blame me. I was busy packing up the tent. This is the boy's father. He should be paying attention to him. And so realizing this, they go back to Jerusalem. Another day's journey. Can you imagine leaving your 12-year-old child alone for now two days in a big city? Alone? And now more stress and anxiety is coming out of Mary and Joseph. How in the world could we lose the Son of God? (laughs) And while in Jerusalem they search for him another day. And now it's the third day that their child is alone. At this point, Mary is probably thinking he's been sold into slavery. He's probably a beggar somewhere. She probably has the worst possible thing in her mind. But then they end up at the temple. And Jesus was sitting there calm, cool, and collective. He was asking some profound questions. And his answers to these rabbis and teachers were even more startling and more impressive. Where they walked away amazed at this 12-year-old's understanding. And so Mary and Joseph go up to him in great distress. Son, why have you you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Which confused Mary and Joseph. What in the world could this possibly mean? Didn't you know I was supposed to be in my father's house? Jesus would explain this a little more in detail later. In John, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so what we see Jesus doing at a young age is submitting to the Father's will and acknowledging that his will is not his own. 
And so he must submit to his father's will. What's so amazing about this passage too is that this is the first time that somebody is saying, my father. In the Old Testament, they wouldn't refer to God as their father. They would just refer to him as father. But Jesus is saying, my father. He is also here reminding that ultimately, yes, you are my earthly parents, but I have not come to do my own will. I've come to do my father's will. And so Jesus is submitting to his heavenly father. But then we see something incredible happen next because he just doesn't submit to the father, but we see him also submit to his parents. The passage tells us, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. Do you know what's so incredible about this passage while I was studying it? Is is the, the passage that kept on coming into my mind is when Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And we see him right here fulfilling the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and father. And when his mother and father said, son, we need you to submit to us. Come back with us to Nazareth. It says he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Obedience to God's word leads to submissiveness. And this is what Jesus himself, the son of God, is teaching us. Is that in every area of his life, he not only acted out and not only proclaimed uh, these truths, but it was under the umbrella of being submissive to what his father's will is. Are we submissive to the word of God? At the end of the day, this is what we submit to because this is how God has spoken to us. His word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we must submit to this sword. And that might be a strange thing. How can obedience and submissiveness not be the same thing? Well, I can technically be obedient without being submissive. If I was driving on Gillette Street out here, which probably wouldn't be a good thing to do right now, but if, if I was driving out there and the speed limit says 25, but I'm going 30 and I come up to turn left at Capitol to go home and I don't see any cars are coming, so I don't stop. I just roll through. I don't use my blinker. Can I say that I'm being submissive to the law of the land? I could make an argument how I'm kind of being obedient. But I can't say I'm submitting my whole self to the law. And so sometimes as believers, we come to God's word. 
And we say, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'll submit some of myself to this word. But in the areas that I really don't like it or I don't think I'm that gifted in it, then, you know, then that's not up for me. I'm, I'm a doer and I'm not much of a, of a sayer. Or I'm a sayer and I'm not much of a doer. So I'll only submit to half of it. But God's word doesn't call us to submit just to half. We're called in, in body, mind, and soul to submit our whole selves to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Brothers and sisters, that's how the Great Commission is filled out. That is how we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them Everything that has been commanded to them. It's coming and submitting to the word of God. Which leads us to act. And proclaim. Paul says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Obedience to God's word leads us to action, proclamation, and submission. Can we say that of our church? That we are every single morning trying to submit ourselves by obeying the word of God. Oh, we have been given the Holy Spirit to do so. So let us take encouragement and confidence as we leave here this morning. That if you are a believer in Jesus, you have been given the Spirit. We have the Spirit. And so now we can leave here submitting to God's Word and obeying in action and proclamation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what your son Jesus did on the cross. And right now, I just feel such a heavy burden to pray for those who may not know you. Those whose hearts are still hard. Those that are chasing after the wind. Those who are indulging and gratifying in their sin, would you show them that, that it's fool's gold? What they're drinking from is salt water, just leaving them more thirsty. But how your son, he, he offers everlasting life. Would you soften the hearts of those who do not believe? Father, would you allow us to leave here changed? Would you allow us to leave here submitting to your word in action and proclamation? Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.